If you will, please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This morning we conclude our series entitled The Spirit of the Church. As we are looking at Acts chapter 2 together, this is the same series of messages we gave 20 years ago to date when we started Calvary Chapel Cardinal. We believe that the principles outlined for us in Acts chapter 2 were the principles in which God desired us to build this church upon. And as we went through Acts chapter 2, taking a high-level look at the chapter, we discovered certain principles that we believed were timeless and that we as a church needed to um, conform to if we were going to be effective for the mission in which God sent us to fulfill here in this area. And to begin with in Acts chapter 2, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, we realized that if we were going to be an effective church, we needed to be a Spirit-led church. And we outlined for you when we went through that beginning portion of this passage what that looks like and what that means today. Then we realize, secondly, that as the early church was there conceived and birthed there in Acts chapter 2, the very first thing God did was thrust them into their culture. We were a church that was meant to engage our culture, to rub shoulders with the world around us that they may see Christ in us for the purpose of evangelism. Point number three, that God wanted our church to be an evangelistic church, sharing the gospel with anyone who would listen, to allow them to have that opportunity to come to that same saving knowledge that we have come to, that they may see God through Christ as he is meant to be seen and interacted with. But as the evangelism proceeded there in Acts chapter 2, they had a dilemma. They went from 120 to 3,120 in one day. That's what you call church growth. Can you imagine that? 3,000 people came to saving faith in Jesus Christ through Peter's first uh, evangelistic message, which was simply an explanation of the coming and the reasoning for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now the church, the disciples, had to do something with those 3,000 people. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this newly founded church simply continued in the apostles' teaching, They continued in fellowship with one another, the breaking of bread and prayers. And it would be easy to stop there. 
However, though, when I began to read on in the chapter, there is a word in verse 47, a phrase I should actually say, that really caught my attention. It says that the early church, this newly uh, constrived and constructed group of people now all fellowshipping with one another and continuing in the apostles' teaching as they're learning about all that Jesus had said when he was still here on this earth. And as they were eating together and then celebrating communion together and praying together, in verse 47, it said that all the onlookers, all the people around this newly established church had favor with them. Uh, They looked upon this new church as something positive. This was a good thing. There was talk amongst the people there in that area about this new work that God was doing in this new church. And the people, the Jewish people who were looking from a distance upon it, gave it favor. Hey, this is a good thing. Hey, did you hear about that church? Yeah, what is going on over there? I see all the people gathering in the temple or in house to house. And you know what? They love each other. They share all the, uh, everything that they have with one another. And, and individuals that don't have anything, those who are wealthier, they, they sell the excess that they have, that the ones who have nothing may have something. There's a generosity, there's a love, there's a compassion, there's a mercy, there's a grace like we've never seen before. And they had favor with all of the people. And as a result... The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved day by day. What happened? What happened? Now we understand that in the book of Acts, shortly after this time, the church became greatly persecuted. And I believe that God allowed that persecution to spread the church out, to take the church into the various areas in which he desired it to go. And we know that over the centuries and through the annals of history, the church has been persecuted by the secular world. But at this moment, they were given favor. Was it just a temporary reprieve that God gave this newly established church to allow it to establish itself and to flourish a little bit before throwing their feet into the fire? Or were those outside the church looking upon something incredible that they had never seen before? And if it was real, they wanted to be part of it. They wanted to see it and experience it for itself. I'll never forget sitting at Moody Memorial Church, listening to one of my favorite pastors, Chuck Swindoll. And he said to all of us, he said that if the church would simply love each other the way Christ had loved us, the world would pound down the door of the church. I always thought about that. What happens if the church became a glimpse of things that are yet to come? That the church became a glimpse of heaven that awaits you and I who are in Christ Jesus? What happens if the church became that entity that God always designed it to be? And surely there will be times of persecution. Surely there will be times that the world will hate us because it hated our Savior, Jesus. There will be times that we will be uh, exiled. There will be times that we will be um, isolated. There will be times that we will be shunned by the world, undoubtedly. 
But you know, there are also stories of the church having great favor in the midst of the community because of the love that they showed one another, because of the mercy, because of the compassion, because of the selflessness and the humility. And as a result, it gained the world's attention and respect. Let's be honest, we have not done a whole lot to gain the world's respect lately, have we? In fact, next week we're going to be talking about a subject that I think all of us need to hear and consider. As we will follow this message up with a message entitled The State of the Church, we are going to be talking about a deficit within the church like we have never seen before. A deficit that tells us that out of the 6,000 evangelical Christians polled amongst uh, this particular group, only 10%, 600 of them held an actual biblical world view. Meaning that they actually believed what the Bible said. And they look at the world through the lens of the Scriptures. If that's true, we are in serious serious trouble. And we need to explore that and talk about that because again, as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to walk within that biblical worldview that the Bible establishes for us. But that being said, if we are not walking according to the design that God has inquired us, required us to walk, then how can we have integrity before a fallen world? The number one complaint, of course, against Christians in the church today is that they are full of hypocrites. I don't want to be subjected to man's authority. I don't want to be subjected to groupthink. These are things that I am hearing continuously about the established church. And yet, at this moment in time when we read this, they had favor amongst all the people. Now, I understand if we are persecuted for righteousness' sake, so be it. But if we are persecuted for the lack of biblical integrity shown within us, then shame on us. Because we are not reflecting the heart and the mind of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to a desperately dying, falling world. So we ask the question, what was going on back then? Why was this favor experienced? And let us begin As we begin to research this and look for ourselves, let us begin in verse 43. We know from verse 42, and we've spent the last four weeks there, that they devoted themselves to the four following things. That word devoted means that they persistently endeavored in these things, even against opposition or antagonization. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were listening to the apostles expound upon the teachings of Jesus that they had heard over the last three years. And fellowship, they were with one another, encouraging one another, praying with one another, meeting each other's needs that had need. They were breaking bread together, they were having a meal together, and then at the end of the meal they would celebrate the communion. And then they were praying together. They were a praying church. In verse 43, notice what has happened. And awe came upon every soul. 
a great fear of reverence and respect for God had filled their hearts. And they walked within that reverent fear. They had a true fear of the Lord, a healthy fear of the Lord that the Bible encourages us to have before God. They had it. And they had it because of the coming of the Spirit. God was present amongst them in a dynamic way. And as they continued in the teaching, and as they continued in fellowship, and as they continued in communion, and they continued in prayers, that was only made a stronger reality. And awe came upon all of them. Now some believe that that awe came because of the following portion of of the verse. And signs were being done through the hands of the apostles, and I should say, and many wonders and signs were being done through the hands of the apostles. But that's not accurate. The awe was already there. And the word and there in the sentence tells us that the signs and the wonders happened after the awe had already been established within them. So first and foremost, these individual Christians, these new Christians, were walking in the fear of the Lord, the beginning of all knowledge, the beginning of all wisdom, putting God in His proper place, in a place of authority, and, and, um, and subjecting themselves to His authority as His followers. Number one, they had a fear of the Lord. And that fear of the Lord allowed them to continue in what they were doing. But on top of that, many wonders were done. These were signs that the uh, apostles were doing that caused amazement amongst the people. But signs also. And these signs were signs, miracles that were performed with a, a meaning attached often to substantiate and to confer the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's presence was felt there. One of the greatest evidences of God's power is His changed heart within the individual. And the reverent honor that this new church gave the Lord was a demonstration of God's power amongst them. And then to top it off, Great miracles, signs, and wonders were done to further evident that God's power was there. His presence and power was found in the early church in a dynamic way. And as a result of this, look at verse 44. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. If you remember, we are in the city of Jerusalem during the time of Pentecost, and during the feast times of the uh, Israeli calendar, the city of Jerusalem would sell, uh, swell excuse me, sometimes three to four times in population uh, compared to its normal populace. These pilgrims would come all over the world to come and to worship there in Jerusalem during these feasts. Pentecost was one of them. These 3,000 people who appeared to venture from all these different regions of the known world now were in Jerusalem. They had nothing. They didn't want to return home yet because they were now newly founded in Christ. And they had nothing. They had no jobs. They had no place to stay. They had no way of supporting themselves or feeding themselves for a long period of time. Now, when the Jews 
knew that a feast time was coming, they were instructed by the word, by the law, that they were to be hospitable to people. So when the Passover came or Pentecost came or one of the other feasts came, when the city of Jerusalem swelled into that uh, number of people, it was common practice that anyone who had a home there in Jerusalem would open it up to as many people as possible without charging anything for room or board. Any of the necessities were all met through the hospitality of the people who owned that home. But now the feast was ending, and yet this hospitality, this generosity, this love was continuing amongst the people in the presence of all. There was something unique going on here. And let us be clear that they were not uh, required to do this. This was not uh, a uh, point where they needed to give up all that they had to minister to others to be part of the church. This is a voluntary thing that they did. As one commentator wrote, he says, they did not all move into communal living uh, arrangement together, but rather they developed a strong sense of community. They confessed a common Lord, spent much of the time together, shared one another, uh, and participated in a common vision and purpose. There was something happening. There was a new unity. There was something going on that had never been seen before. And as these people had these needs, look at verse 45 with me. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. As one wrote, he said, why the early Christians were willing to pool their resources and share them with others is not clear. They were not unique in this seeking to do this. But why is not certain? Perhaps it was because they believed that Jesus would soon return. And as a result, there would be little need for possessions. It is evident that the apostles believed, even as you come to Acts chapter 3, that they anticipated the Lord's return in their time. In fact, Peter was hoping for it. He was hoping that enough Jews would come to saving faith to usher in the coming of their Messiah, not realizing that God had long-term plans of over 2,000 years, and we are now 2,000 years closer to the return of Christ than we've ever been before. But notice how their biblical worldview played out. That if the Lord was returned tomorrow, then my possessions are really useless to me. And if my brother who has nothing is sitting next to me, who am I to have everything and allow him to go with nothing? If the Lord returns, I, I, I want to honor him rather than keeping these things that I cannot take with me. I still get amazed when people want to be buried with something of their possessions. Isn't that funny? Do you know that we have seen people buried with all different kinds of things? Some cash because he didn't want his wife to get it that was amazing to me do you know that a gentleman was buried in his cadillac because he loved it more than anything else on this earth you know what that cadillac looks like now one wanted to be buried with his horse and was don't ask i don't get that but think how futile it is 
You can't take it with you. And these people saw that, and, and the actual value of their possessions began to weigh in the light of the needs of those who were around them, who shared in their love for Jesus. William MacDonald says something that I think is very thought-provoking. Many argue today that we need not follow the early believers in this practice. One might just as well contend then we should not love our neighbors as ourselves. The sharing of all one's real estate and personal property was the inevitable fruit of the lives that were being filled with the Holy Spirit. It has been said a real Christian could not bear to have too much when others have too little. Now again, we're not talking about socialism. We're not talking about communism. We're not talking about the redistribution of wealth. What we are talking about is meeting needs that people have. And remember, the early church was not required to give their things away. They did it out of their heart. They did it out of the generosity that they now had in the light of Christ. And as they saw their brothers and sisters in need, they were moved with generosity and compelled with compassion to meet the needs that each other had. It wasn't something forced upon them. It was something that they willingly and wanting to do for one another. I love this. The power of God is evident here because Jesus became much more important to them than their possessions. And that's truly the reality that we're seeing here. Their newfound relationship with God through Christ had established within them a new manner in viewing the world around them and uh, re-prioritizing for them, maybe for the first time, their real priorities. And because of their love for Jesus Christ, they could not help themselves but to love their brothers and sisters in Christ in a meaningful, authentic, real, sacrificial manner. And as a result, the Jews around them looked upon this new group with favor. What's happening here? What's going on? And it allowed a platform to be established for the proclamation of the gospel, and people were getting saved day by day as the Lord brought them about. What an incredible period in time. I would have loved to have been a bystander to watch and to see what was happening there at that time. And then the Lord started impressing upon my heart. He says, it wasn't meant to end. It was meant to continue. We need to be a generous church for the sake of Christ. We need to be a humble church for the sake of Christ. We need to be a loving church for the sake of Christ towards one another. Allowing the body to minister onto each other as one has need. And I love when I'm the last to know about something good that happens at this church. Can I be honest with you? Pastor Eric, you're not going to believe it, but uh, my wife and I were praying and we had a need and then someone came over to our house that we didn't even know from the church and they supplied that need because the Lord had laid it on their heart. 
And immediately they look at me. Did you tell them? No, I didn't even know you had the need until you just told me right now. Give all the glory to God. These are testimonies that cannot be denied. This is what the world needs to see within the church. Loving people, humble people, compassionate people, merciful people, gracious people. Loving people. If I didn't say that again, let me say it two or three more times. Why? Not because we're elevating people above our possessions. It's because we're elevating Christ above it all. And that's our focal point, is Him. And if He was willing to sacrifice all on my behalf, who am I not to sacrifice on the, something that I have an abundance of for my brother or sister's sake? That was the early church. And notice here in verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. There was an authenticity to these people like never seen before, undoubtedly. They were just real people. You know why they were really real people? Because they really loved Jesus and they really loved each other. They were real people. And anything that they had, they were willing to share. It didn't matter who you were. didn't matter what you had. They were willing to share what little they had to others who maybe had none. It was an incredible thing to see and to experience. And the word generous there is not a bad word, but it isn't complete. It should be with a humility and with a, a simplicity they did these things. They gave God all the credit. They, they allowed everyone to know that they were doing it because Jesus had changed their heart from the inside out. They were showing the world that they were not the same people any longer. We feel that we live in a time that materialism is at an all-time high. But this isn't something new. In fact, in that culture, materialism was one of the great sins of the society. Possessions. Uh, the wealth of an individual. Why was that? Well, there was this false understanding that wealth, possessions, abundance reflected that they were in favor with God over someone who had nothing. That they were being blessed in this tangible way by God and therefore they were in good standings before God because of their wealth, because of their material possessions and so forth, their abundance. And someone who was poor and someone who didn't have anything was automatically considered someone that God was displeased with. This is why when the rich young ruler came to the disciples and was asking and inquiring about salvation, Jesus said, now give up all that you have and come and follow me. And he couldn't do it. The disciples then looked at them and said, well, wait a minute. Now, if he can't get saved, who can? See, the assumption was in the disciples' minds that his wealth, his prosperity were all indications of God's blessing. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not necessarily the case. Because he was a slave to those things. 
Those things were his true master. Those things were the items of his idolatry. It was those things that he worshipped. And these people, because they had been changed from the inside out, now their brothers and sisters mattered more than the abundance of their possessions. And it was an incredible thing to see. And as a result, we come to verse 47 as we have walked through these verses. And while they were there with breaking their food, now this is a meal that they're having together, either right in the middle of the temple, they would literally have in one of the temple courts a big picnic. And they would all converge there. Now some of the courts of the early temple could uh, easily fit and accommodate eight to 9,000 people. There was enormous areas. And so they would just have this big picnic. Everybody would bring their lunches. Everybody would come and they would just share everything they had. They would talk about Jesus. They would pray together and it was incredible to see. Or they would go home to home to home. And if a neighbor happened to be looking around the fence and saying, what the heck is going on? They're parking all their chariots on my side of the road, you know? And then they hear this praise. They're singing praises to God. It's not even prayer time. We're not even at the temple. Honey, I don't know what's going on next door, but I don't like it. Wait a minute. Honey, you're not going to believe what's happening next. They're sharing. What? Poor people are coming now. There goes the neighborhood. Wait a minute. These Christians are, they're feeding them. They're praying with them. They're loving them. Honey, I don't know what's going on. I have to go over and I have to investigate. Only to see and to find Christ himself. That's what was happening. It's incredible. And as they were singing and as they were praising God and having favor with all the people, I love that word favor. That word favor, again, if I may remind us, means that favorable attitude towards someone, a goodwill that one has towards another. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. One of my, uh, one of the gentlemen that I've been taking some online classes with, Dr. Daryl Bach, he wrote a couple paragraphs on this particular section of this chapter. He's an expert in the book of Acts and Luke. And I would like to read these for our church because I think they're so profound and I'll place them on the screen behind. Luke's summary presents an ideal for the Christian community which it must always strive for, consistently return to, and discover anew. If it is to have the unity of the Spirit and purpose essential for the effective witness. As John Stott wrote, speaks of a learning church, a loving church, a worshiping church, an evangelistic church. In other words, the church is to be a place of spiritual growth and spiritual praise. A place that is relational enough to meet needs, engage the culture, and share Christ. I'm glad that he came to the same conclusions we did. But then he goes on, and this is what I'd like our church to hear this morning. With Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47 ending as it does, Luke wants to leave no doubt that there is an important connection between community life 
and favor the community experiences with outsiders. This kind of engagement has a positive effect on mission. Everything about the gospel and Acts tells us that God's people are to take the initiative to show community and to serve those around them. Much in the Western culture drives us to an individualism that undercuts this development of community. We are taught to have things our way, and that, be, that being able to have uh, our an individual needs catered to is how to measure the success of an organization. In our culture, our individual needs and rights come before any needs of the group. But then he goes on to say, the biblical picture is not of what someone receives from the church, although one does receive a great deal, but of what one gives and how to contribute to it. The portrait of the early church in Acts shows that community and the welfare of the group were a priority. This attitude reflected spiritual maturity that allowed the church to grow. In the case of the earliest community, the believers, the preaching was matched by their community, making a powerful testimony for their mission. When the early church said that God cared, the care they gave their own demonstrated this. Again, this early church was radically changed from the inside out individually. And as Jesus Christ took the place of preeminence within their heart and they saw the body of Christ expanding and individuals getting saved and individuals now becoming brothers and sisters in Christ, they, were, they could not allow their abundance to be kept in the wake and the knowledge of knowing that their brothers and sisters had nothing in comparison. It shows a complete change of heart within these people. I believe that it was a glimpse of things that were to come. That the reason the favor was given was because these people had never seen anything like this before. This is Jerusalem. This is in the temple there in Jerusalem, and they were the stewards of the knowledge of God to the known world. And yet something radically has changed within them the moment they became followers of Jesus Christ. They began to love and have compassion and mercy and grace and more love and more mercy and more grace for one another and needs were being met. Let me ask you the simple question. If we place Christ in that position of priority within our own lives, within our own church, and allow Him through the Holy Spirit to uh, facilitate the meeting of each other's needs through the body of Christ, will not that make an impact upon the world around us? When you invite people to church and they say, you know, there was something different there. You guys really care about each other. You really love each other. I don't see that in the world. The love in the world apparently is so conditional. It's often what people can get from the other person that substantiates the love that they show to another. But you do it selflessly. 
compassionately. I believe it's this type of witness that we must have as a church that if we are going to earn the credibility and the place then to proclaim to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we say to them, we are Christians following Jesus and we would like to share the good news of Jesus Christ and we want to have that earn that right to speak into their lives, don't we first and foremost need to be walking and demonstrating Christ in and through us? Don't we need to be representing Christ properly to the best of our ability? You know, it's not that we don't make mistakes, but when we do make mistakes, we're honest about those mistakes. And we apologize. And we ask for forgiveness. Because we're no better than anybody else, are we? Of course not. As one likes to say, we are just one beggar telling another beggar where they can find some food. But that being said, this is the heart that we need to have here at Calvary. It is a heart that comes about by each of us submitting to Christ and allowing the Spirit to work through us. It's not something that we can devise a program and take you through classes and so forth. Okay, the loving class will start at, you know, 1230. See, if you ask God to be a loving person, here's what God will do for you. He will throw you into a position where you're surrounded by those who hate you. And then he'll say, okay, go ahead and love. You want to become a compassionate person? He'll then surround you with people who do not deserve your compassion. And therefore, he'll teach you not only compassion, but grace at the same time and mercy. That's the way God does things. But for our betterment... But this is what I pray for our church, that this is the church that we would be. And some may say to me, well, pastor, that's very idealistic. Well, why shouldn't we be striving for the ideal? In fact, if the ideal is the standard of Scripture, if I'm not striving for the ideal, then do I become one who compromises the Scriptures? Something to consider. Something to think about. But this is the church that I desire us to be. And it will come about as we allow Christ to be that preeminent one within our lives and the Spirit to work through us as He desires to work through us. You do not need my permission to love one another. You have the command of God to do so. To be gracious to one another. To have compassion upon one another. To forgive one another. That's a hard one for some, isn't it? But you don't know what they've done to me. No, I may not. But God does. And he asks you to forgive them because he's forgiven you. Now, I don't know what you've done between you and God, but he certainly does, and he's forgiven you, so why won't you forgive them? And allowing the world to see that and gaining the favor of the community. It's something that I hope and pray for as we conclude our time together in this series called The Spirit of the Church. We end on that note that we would be a church that earns the favor of the people by simply being the Christians that God has called us to be.